Welcome to the Todd Z Zcast, everybody. My name is Todd Zalkins, recorded live here in Long Beach, California, where we talk about a little bit of everything, a little bit of recovery, a little bit of this, that, and the other. Some things relevant and highly irrelevant. We're here to share with you what's really going on. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, this is the uh, this is a Z-Man podcast. My name is Todd Zalkins. I want to welcome everybody to the show. And uh, before we get started, really quick, when I talk about our sponsors for a second here, today's podcast is brought to you by Ascension Recovery, specializing in alcohol and drug detox. They're located in Huntington Beach, California. Ascension Recovery is fully equipped to handle any detox, whether it be alcohol, opiates, benzos, you name it. Dr. Joe DeSanto, good friend of mine, is their medical director. I've worked with Ascension, and they do wonderful work to help you get you on track for a sober life. Give them a call. Hit, hit these guys up at toll-free 800-293-2133. The program is also brought to you by Roots Through Recovery, located in my hometown. That would be Long Beach, California. Inspiring hope through compassionate care and evidence-based treatments. Roots Through Recovery is an outstanding co-occurring outpatient treatment facility. I've seen many people turn their lives around as a result of the, of the people doing the work there. And I've worked with several families who have taken their loved ones there. And so just uh, hit these guys up. If you guys need some help, please call 866-ROOTS-76. Again, 866-ROOTS-76. Uh, I want to really quick uh, show the, uh, I got a copy here of the Long Way Back film this DVD and uh, I'll send out a, a three signed copies for anyone who wants to copy this thing. Just message us at podcast at toddzalkins.com and I will throw this film in the mail to you, sign it and uh, it'll be on its way. Priority mail, by the way, and I pay for the postage and handling. The film is available on Hulu, Amazon, Google play, iTunes, and all that other stuff. And uh, let's see here really quick here. I talked about Bradley's house a second ago the, with the Knoll Family Foundation. And uh, if you guys can, you know, give a little, love a little, throw in a couple of bucks to the to Brad, for Bradley's house, go to the knollfamilyfoundation.org. Okay. Now, with that being said, I want to talk about Amy Dresner for a second. Amy is a former professional stand-up comic, having appeared at the Comedy Store, the Laugh Factory, and the Improv. And by the way, I've already laughed a bunch uh, since she's been here. It's freaking classic. Since 2012, she's been the sole official columnist for the online addiction and recovery magazine called TheFix.com. She's also written for The Good Men Project, After Party Chat, Refinery29, Salon, Cosmopolitan for Latinas, and Addiction.com. Let's see here. What else? Oh, she's got this fabulous book out, by the way. It's called My Fair Junkie, and it is available everywhere, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. Can you get a close-up of this uh, book cover, Mike? We're going to show you guys the book cover. It's called My Fair Junkie, A Memoir of Getting Dirty and Staying Clean. This is going to be a great a great little morning here. So, uh, okay, she's also had... Um, this has been compared to, her, the book's been compared to Carrie Fisher's 1987 autobiography called Postcards from the Edge. That's what Elle magazine said. And Amy Dresner's story of addiction is a story, it's one for the ages. She'll be speaking at She Recovers on September 15th at the Beverly Hilton Hotel and at the Mindful Recovery Symposium in North Carolina on October 26th. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Amy Dresner, come on over here and have a seat and hang out for a few minutes. Hi. <laughs> hey, Amy, how you doing? Put on those headphones for a second. Great to be here. Nice to have you. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Now, 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 really quick, I got to ask you. I, I know you just sat down. Are you comfortable? Yes. It's very important to me that you are comfortable. Yeah, this pillow is a little weird. Get rid of the. You don't have to keep Hold the pillow on. there. This is like for people with lumbar problems. Okay. Yeah, I've got a lot of those aside. I got a lot of problems. So do I. Do you? Yeah. We're going to talk about some of those problems, and, <laughs> and 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 mainly we're all stoked that you're in the solution today. It's me too. So is everyone else, including the LAPD. <laughs> the LAPD is glad that she's um. Well, she's Hollywood no longer... sheriffs are like woo. Are, they feel like they got lucky with having you get sober. Oh, God, yeah. They'd been to my house many times. They were just like, oh, we'll get to that. We are going to cover yeah. that. I just uh, I, I want to say congratulations on, on the book that, that you've come you. out with. And I know that there's a lot of exciting other stuff on the horizon yes. that, 
that we can't talk about right now. But no, the, but, the, but it will be announced soon. Okay, cool. Well, t- well, tell me, um, tell us a little bit about about where you're from. I know that you've done stand up comedy and stuff like that, but where were you born and raised? I was born and raised in Beverly Hills. I'm a Beverly Hills Jew. You are. Yeah. Okay. And uh, are you still to... practicing that stuff? No, I was never practicing. Okay. I'm like a Hollywood Jew, like a cultural Jew. You know, like there's a, there's know a lot of them up Yiddish, there, right? But I'm like, don't go to temple or anything like that. Um, I also went to Catholic school for four years. Um, even because they, I was going to public school and then they were like, oh, they were going to, it was busing. It was during that time they were going to bus and my parents just threw me in this like really gnarly uh, Catholic school in Beverly Hills that was run by nuns. Your parents threw you under the bus, <laughs> like literally and figuratively. And it just was really, I mean, that was one of the problems when I got sober was like the whole higher power stuff because I was really confused yeah. by the whole thing. Um, but uh, I went to school, I went to college in uh, at Emerson in Boston. I lived abroad for a couple of years and uh, I've been in and out for the program for 20 years and now I have five and a half years clean. Congratulations. Praise Hashem. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm happy to hear that you're, that you're on a better path today and obviously it took a lot to get here. We're going to talk a little bit about the path and, and uh, where it started out and, and let's, let's just go straight to it. When did, when did you discover the effects that drugs and alcohol provided you? I mean, I didn't drink till I was 19. No way. Yeah, way. Okay, so to back it up, I was like kind of a goody two-shoes in school and like a straight-A student and blah, blah. And I was like really obsessed with purity. And I think that's very alcoholic, to be honest, where it's like we're either like smoking meth or we're vegan. We're not really good at the moderation <laughs> thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so I was very, very like, I was like not into sex or drugs or alcohol. And my dad was like, my dad, my mom was living in Mexico at the time, and my father was like, how do I get my kid out of Beverly Hills without her becoming like a druggie? Now, now really quick, was the family dynamic intact? I mean, do you have brothers and sisters? No, was... I have no brothers and sisters. Okay. My parents split when I was two. It was very, yeah, no. Okay, so you primarily lived with dad? Um, I lived with both. I split the week half and half. Uh, my mother is uh, a recovering alcoholic, um, so, but I, she was trying to make a living and my father was a screenwriter and my father just sort of was more emotionally available so I gravitated more to him um, and then my mother moved to Mexico when I was 13 so then I was raised sort of by my father from that point on do you think and, and I too come from somewhat of a fractured family uh, environment too but do you in your in your story or for, for you personally was a somewhat not intact family did that contribute later on do you think to your to your alcoholism and addictions you know I mean I think that not, I mean, I certainly have abandonment issues and I'm certainly insecurely or, or what it's called anxiously attached, I think what psychiatrists call it. So I definitely, my mother had been, uh, she was a little bit shut down and, uh, she'd been beaten by her schizophrenic mother and you know, her brother was schizophrenic too. And so I felt that her inability to kind of love me the way that I need to be loved. And yes, I'm really fucking needy, but definitely made me feel like I was not good enough. There was something wrong with me. Okay. I appreciate that. And and I also want to kind of want to clarify this one. That is, I have never blamed, Oh yeah. You know, this, this, whatever happened, childhood stuff, what have you, I guess what I'm getting at is, do you think that, um, that drugs and alcohol, when they when you at nineteen and you moved on from there, do you think it kind of helped either soothe or compartmentalize the pain? And, and again, not to blame the childhood stuff, but did that work for you? Well, yeah. I mean, I always felt weird and unsafe in the world and confused by everything. And even though I was super smart, you know, I just was like, just terrified. I mean, I was so terrified, and so um, for me. And I didn't like myself at all. I hated myself. And I, I mean, there's so much addiction and mental illness in my family. So, I mean, the genetics are there in f- like force. Okay. So when I picked up, it was kind of instant. I mean, booze made me like I blacked out like almost immediately. So, so you're real sensitive to alcohol. Yeah. And okay. it was like, I'd get naked and violent and it was like, uh, you know what I mean? So I was like, Oh, I don't, maybe not that. But then I found crystal meth and that was the drug that made me feel like I got that moment of like, oh my God, this is what I'm looking for. I feel normal mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. That gave you that little balance. Yeah. I was like, why is it everyone on this? Like, mm. holy shit. Like I, this is what I need to be on the planet. I, you're not going to take it away from me. What was, what was the, um, 
your, your crew of friends looking like at you know, just before you're 19, you know, cause you start, that's when you started getting loaded. But, um, what were, what were your interpersonal relationships like, you know, in high school, for instance, in high school, I was with a bunch of other goody two shoes. Really? And not, yeah. Not, I, I, no one really drank. No one really smoked. No one did any drugs. You Everyone guys weren't very my... fun. You weren't fun. I mean, you were having fun. Like, like no. me and my friends would be I made like, up for it later. Believe me, I was very, you know, slutty you, and fun later. But You uh, played catch up later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but good. Um, no, I was, you know, really, you know, all my friends were sort of like, you know, not geeky. Just we were just straight. You know what I mean? But, so, my, but my father was like, hey, I don't, you know, I'll bet you'll drink or smoke or do drugs before you're 18. And I said, I bet I won't. And he said, I'll bet you a thousand bucks. And I always make this terrible joke that that's how Jews raise each other. We just bribe each other. It's so dumb. And so I waited till I was 19 and drank. And I was in college. And I mean, everyone's drinking in college. You know what I mean? I was a virgin in college. And I was like, oh. And I never drank. And I was like, yikes. Did you collect the thousand bucks? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You better and, have. Yeah. And then I was day like. after. Yeah. And then I was like, okay. Like, I am a weirdo here in college, having never drank and having never had sex. And we need to, like, sort that now. Can you, can you, can you, can you bring us back to, if you can remember, you know, the first drink? Was it a party situation? A couple of girlfriends? It was. Like, what was it looking it like? Was, it was in the dorms and it was a Greyhound. And they were like, yay, it's Amy's first drink. And, we had some gray hands. It was some boys, my roommate, and um, they were all. It was all my friends, close friends, and I remember, you know, laughing. And I didn't, you know, I drank, and I was sitting down, and then I got up and I fell down. I didn't realize how drunk I was, and um, yeah. But there wasn't that moment of like, oh, like kissing Jesus like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That wasn't that. That I had from Crystal. Okay. Um, and then I just was drinking, but it was college. Everyone's drinking and throwing up and skipping classes and blacking out. It didn't look that different from anyone else's drinking at that point. So from a functioning stand, it functioned well. The alcohol, the drink, and stuff. You were you functioned pretty well early on, right? Yeah, I mean, I was having a nervous breakdown in college, but that was from like mental issues, depressive stuff. I had like a full blown eating disorder, but I was still like getting straight A's and that kind of stuff. It now, was like the first of my nervous, like four nervous breakdowns. I like to have a lot of, I like to have nervous breakdowns like every, I, I, every decade. I yeah. had one before you got here. Did you? I did. That's why I was sweating so bad. It was like I was, that's why you thought I was detoxing still. <laughs> 11 and a half years sober and I still going through post-acute withdrawal symptoms. Um, God, where was I here? So, um, so in the college scene, you're doing what everybody's doing and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. did, did you have that kind of epiphany where a lot of people, you know, often hear, okay, once I started doing this with these people, I'm, I'm part of something bigger. Um, was it that feeling or, no, or was it absolutely I've not? I've always felt weird and sort of disconnected from other people. And I still feel weird. I mean, I feel connected to, I have great friends and I have great people in the program and that kind of stuff. But it's like, no, I didn't have that. You know, despite my terror and my insecurity, I have a lot of like weird fake bravado that I like. So people think I'm really outgoing and I'm not terrified. Hmm. And so it's like I was it's like my, it was my early act as if. Um, Were you consumed with with the with the notion or the idea of I really want everybody to like me? No, you didn't have that going I on. Said. I liked us. So you're anarchist from birth. No. Did you hate authority? Cause my dad was cool and you know, I got good grades and no, I wasn't like that. Okay. I was so you just kind of rolled with stuff. You rolled yeah, with life and just, you know, I got special attention. I can be very, I, I know I can figure out a way I'm very manipulative and I can get, find a connection to the authority the authoritative figure so that I get special treatment and my shit gets to fly. Okay. My bad attitude, my whatever, like that's, you know, that special snowflake, like I'm different. Like that's the way I, I roll. You brought up a topic that I want to, I, I want to discuss for a few moments. You mentioned some, um, so maybe some moments of depression or depressive disorder and stuff like that, mm -hmm. because I too have, I too have, um, gone through it. I've battled a great deal of depression, Me too. both, uh, you know, loaded and of certainly sober. Me too. So, at the at the young age that you know when you're in college and stuff like that, were you doing any type of treatment for? Is it okay if we talk I, about yeah, that for I, a second? I'll talk about everything. Okay. Talk about anything. Um, I yeah, I got into therapy and I was really like, wow, like something. I need meds, and he was like, no, 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 and I didn't get on sort of medication till I was like maybe 22, and um, 
I mean, I think it's important. I think that if you have a, you know, a chemical imbalance, like you should be on meds and you know, that doesn't make you not sober. It's like, you know, I mean, can I tell I mean, I'm an AA, I say it. It's like, I blow L11 tradition all the time. I think it's super fucking outdated. Mm. And I think that, um, it drives away more people cause they think it's a creepy Christian cult. And I it think it saved my life. Yeah. And it's just like, so I'm like all about it. And I think more people need to come forward as sober and, you know, re- I'm all about like the recover out loud thing to break this, the, the stigma. I don't think you can break the stigma of addiction without breaking the stigma of recovery. It's weird to me. It's That's like, awesome. you know, so I'm really out with it. And, but I, you know, you can be on meds and you are still sober. A is for your alcoholism. It is not for your fucking mental illness or your diabetes. It's not Christian science. It's not Scientology. You know what I mean? If you had fucking diabetes or fucking cancer, no one would be like, you need to drive around more newcomers. You know? You're not, you know, you're not doing yeah. your steps hard enough. You're not working. You're not connected enough to your HP. It's like, fuck you. Like, I, have a, I definitely have a chemical disorder. I... I so I so appreciate what you just said because and this is what I came to find, and that is I could not outthink my depression. No way! I could not think it. I couldn't out exercise it. I couldn't out sponsor people. Right. All the crap that we do in from a recovery sense, which kept me right. physically sober, right. but mentally I was going through a tremendous amount of stuff. I just wasn't getting fixed. I um. Well, so I have a piece coming out in the fix about depression in sobriety. Awesome. And um, what I've learned through Dr. Howard Wetzman, who is like amazing, amazing person and doctor, addictionologist, psychiatrist, sober person, used to be the chief medical officer of Townsend Treatment Centers, is first of all, there is something to AA making you... Like being part of and sharing and being of service does create more dopamine receptors. So it does actually fix your brain a little bit. But there's a lot of us who have something called low dopamine tone to start with as addicts. And um, you can have a genetic test to see if you have this enzyme where we don't make, we have a problem converting folic acid that you get from food into L-methylfolate, which is what creates dopamine and serotonin. So if you don't, you need enough of that stuff to fucking be going. So, um, it's like you can take an L-methylfolate supplement and that shit's changed my fucking life. Yeah. Because, because absent serotonin and dopamine being, being active in your system, the low level depression that sets in is so extreme. Yeah. Right. It's so extreme. And, 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 and tell me if you agree or disagree on this, this, but this has been my experience and that is. I think so many people end up getting frustrated when they're new in recoveries because they're just not feeling okay. It's because it takes a while. Well, absolutely. Right? It yeah, takes my first a bit. year, the uh, first year, it, it was is terrible. I tell everyone the first year, like I never had a pink cloud. I would cry. Same here. I cried. Gray every, clouds. Yeah, I cried every <laughs> fucking day. You know, all the time. I was like really angry and super crazy. And had a lot of uh, cravings and it was extremely difficult. But I think also, you know, the problem too, which I realized, and I mean, this will all come out and this is different than the book, but it's like, you know, antidepressants deal with serotonin and drugs deal with dopamine. Mm. And so that's different. It's a different thing. So, but we um, need both. Yes, we need both. And, yes. and, and I know that I had destroyed, that's why, you know, you guess what creates dopamine? Fucking smoking, cigarettes, nicotine. Mm-hmm. Why do you think so? everyone's fucking smokes? Why do you think everyone's fucking everyone or gambling or whatever? Because it's like, ooh, new spike of dopamine. Do you want to know what George Carlin, my favorite comedian, said about smoking? He says, what? you want to know why people smoke? Because it helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was smoking and then I was vaping, which is so douchey. You know what I mean? Like, here's me with an enormous chrome, you know, fucking <laughs> in my mouth like driving I'm like why are people looking at me like a Doctor Who screwdriver and I was like it's like a true value little it's like a true value little little compact thing to go oh and then I was like instead of moving downward I was moving upward and I was getting the ones of like a CB radio and it was like getting bigger (laughs) and I was like I gotta stop but when I stopped I crashed so hard because all the dopamine and the nicotine was spiking left and I was like Let's let's come back to college years getting out of college years. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
in college, had you come across the the methamphetamine or speed? Nope. Not nope, yet. Nope. Okay. I so- remember. Okay, this is so funny. I walked into my um, college dorm room, and my roommate at the time was doing coke with her sorority sisters on my computer. And I was like, "Oh my god, you're doing cocaine on my, you know, on my computer? That's just that was so bad. Like this is disgusting, right?" Fast forward, you know, uh, ten years, I'm shooting cocaine. So all I have to say is like, careful what you judge because you become it. It's so funny you say that. I remember seeing a dear friend of mine who was trying to kick, he's trying to kick heroin. And I I told myself, I remember, I didn't make a joke. I was just, I'm like, yeah, feel free to get off that shit. And here I was, first off, not having any clue as to the level of pain that someone's going through. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I love this person very, very much. And yet I became that and more. Yeah, I became that and more. Oh yeah, that's the story of my book. I mean, everything I judged, I, I, that was it. Tell tell the the viewers and the listeners um, to be uh, about the progression of of what happened with you. you So, and like where it turned and stuff like that. So I just, you know, I didn't know who I was. I'd grown up very sheltered. And, uh, after my second nervous breakdown at like 22, 23 and getting fired from my job for drinking on the job, which wasn't like a ding ding for me, but, um, also depression, I moved to San Francisco and I was like, let's just say yes to everything. You know, (laughs) we're going to say yes to the universe, you know? And I was like, you know, I fooled around with girls and I had menages and I did Molly and I did crystal and I got on stage and da da da. And it was the crystal that was like, ding. And I mean, my, it brought me down so fast mm. within like seven months. I'm living in like a flop house with gutter punks and skinheads. But I'm like, this is cool. Cause I'm from Beverly Hills. I'm like, this is like a Tarantino movie. I'm into it. You know, I was digging it. And, uh, anyway, I got a huge infection in my face from crystal meth and my parents came up and they dragged me back to Los Angeles to get clean. Really quick. Were, were you injecting the drug? No. I've never injected crystal. Smoked it, snorted it. Snorting that at that point. Later okay. was smoking. Didn't get into injecting until uh, I got into coke. And by that point, I had epilepsy from crystal. So I was like scared to, to fuck with crystal. So you mean, you mean... Because coke is like... I was like, coke's natural. You know, crystal's made with like gun bluing and Drano. So coke's different, but it's like... I, I, mean, had, a, I had a great deal of stock in Pablo Escobar. <laughs> I really did. I, I sold the stock. It's because I, you know, bought it from his affiliates. I don't have stock anymore. That's good. Yeah, That's it's good. a good thing. That's good. Um, okay, so at about what was the, what was was there a point in time where it's like things really turned? Let's face it. For a while, we both know that drugs and alcohol can work wonderfully. Oh, yeah, they can work wonderfully for a while. And I don't then, know that crystal ever really works that wonderfully. I mean, I was staying up for seventeen days in a row and refinishing furniture and, you know, dumpster diving, plucking my eyebrows for six hours, writing a new Bible. I don't know that it was ever working that well. It was certainly keeping my depression at bay, but... uh, From the outside, it wasn't working from what I can tell. However, for you, you were working. uh, Yeah, I was Working all sorts of stuff. I was writing a book (laughs) and I was, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, But I had, I walked into a market and I woke up in an ambulance. Mm. and I'd had a seizure. And that got me into my first of six treatment centers. Along the way, you know, in your mid-20s, late-20s, were your parents or close friends going, hey, Amy, shake yourself here, man. There's, you got to look at this. Was that happening yet? Um, my parents didn't really know what was going on. Um they had gotten me into with to work with a therapist who was like really hard on drugs, and I was high every session for in a year, and he never fucking could tell. I want to talk like, about that really quick. I was like, "You dumb <laughs> shit," you know what I mean? I do rails in the bathroom before I'd go into his office, and he never fucking could tell. I have that same story. My, I- my 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 dad almost sued him. He was so fucking pissed. But my parents. Like, they didn't know what to do. They were just like, I wasn't done. They were like, go into treatment. Please go into treatment. And I was like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You know, I'm not ready. I'm not done. I need this, you know, blah, blah. And then I had that seizure and it really freaked me out. And I went into treatment and I never fucked with Crystal again. I, you know, got high on a bunch of other different things, but I never touched Crystal again. And five years sober, I developed 
full-blown epilepsy. I have a seizure disorder. I have hyperactive lesions on my frontal lobe from wow. uh, from meth. Therapy is not effective if we're high. Is it? <laughs> you think? I when you said I I, I, I just about I, I couldn't fall out of the chair, but I wanted to. And you said, "Yeah, I'm you know I'm packing my beak before I go to see the doctor." My beak. I actually would excuse myself in the middle of the session. Oh my god, Doc! I'll be right back. I got to use a restroom. <laughs> I come back and I've got just you know shit all over my nose. And he, and I don't think he even even paid attention. Right? Incredible. Yeah, I don't think he was really he paying knew attention. I to was me. there because I had a drug problem <laughs> and depression. It's like anyway. okay, so so not a whole lot of parental intervention or like there's not a really. A they were crisis. trying, and then later on, it got really. They got very very involved, where they would just throw me into rehab and detox all the time, threatening to cut me off, drug testing me all the time, moving me from state to state. They got really really involved. Okay, and was at any particular time when you were exposed to treatment, was there ever a moment they were going, God, maybe I should change? Yeah, I stayed clean. I mean, when I first went to treatment, I stayed clean for a year, but I thought I was a tweaker and not an alcoholic. So I was like, well, I can try, I can drink. Yeah. So I drank and I, I blacked out and I was in a blackout for like three weeks drinking. I don't even know what happened. And then I was like, oh, maybe not. And then I stayed dry for seven years. Wow, can you let's talk about that period? So, you, so for seven days, for seven, seven years, years, excuse yeah. me, seven days, seven days, for seven years, you were physically sober, yeah, on your own, yep. And can you talk a little bit about um, untreated alcoholism and? and I was and sober? depressed. Was Nothing it gnarly? changed. My life was this fucking big. I was miserable all the fucking time. Uh, yeah, it was awful. It That's was awesome, though, awful. that you were sober for seven years. Yeah. I mean, in that regard, physically speaking, because I think if yeah. you still use yeah. it. Well, that's why I tell people you can do it, but you're you're going to feel like shit. And your life's going to be this fucking big and you're not going to change at all. So seven years, seven years clean with no program. And then um, the other shoe fell off or something. Well, I had another nervous breakdown. That's like my hobby. You know, everyone's got to have a hobby. Some people knit. So, you know, I have nervous breakdowns. That's my thing. But I haven't had one for a while. But uh uh, I popped open a bottle of wine. I fucking slit my wrist with a box cutter. I was like, I'm out. Wow. And, um, so that was pretty gnarly. That's in the book. Uh, I got stitched up and then, um, I came back to LA and I was making out with some loser at the standard and he blew pot smoke in my mouth. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm high for the first time in seven years, high. And I was like, I can smoke pot. I hate pot. Mm -hmm. So now I'm smoking pot every day and hating it. And then I was like, I can drink, like it'll be okay. And then I'm drinking. And then I'm like, I can do Coke because Coke's not crystal. It's natural. I, right, it's natural. It's not made from Drano and gun bluing <laughs> and whatever the fuck else. And so then I uh, am in treatment for the second time and I relapse out of treatment and then I start sh injecting cocaine. Shooting cocaine. So there's a good snapshot of some progression right there. Yeah. Right. And then shooting cocaine, you can have a seizure shooting cocaine normally, but shooting cocaine with epilepsy is like a seizure city. And so I shoot cocaine wearing a bike helmet. So I wouldn't talk <laughs> my head open. I was Are like, you being serious? It. Yeah, I'm totally serious. I was like, shit, okay, I get it. Like, it is a high impact sport. I get it. Like, You're like I'm going to wear protective gear. And it made total sense at the time. Hey, who's a chick with at a party? Who's a chick with the bike helmet? Leave her alone. But she just <laughs> she uh, she's got her little hobby, and just we just leave her alone. She's she's a Mrs. Lance Armstrong of meth. That's freaking great. I've never heard a protective helmet. Now, uh, with regards to the epilepsy, um, do you do you medicate? Do you take something? Yeah, to, to, I take to medication, present? and I'm have it under control for awesome. uh, God almost five years now. Good for you. So. This stuff kicks in after seven years sober. I'm assuming that we're getting close to the end of the line here if you're drinking and using. Are we getting no. close? We have more to go. <laughs> yeah. After you went back out, how, how long were you out for? Uh, God. Couple Ball, of years, ballpark. I guess. Couple years. Uh, I finally started to get sober when I was shooting coke. I don't know, a couple years, I guess, on and off. It's hard to shoot coke constantly it's you know it's expensive you have to feed the monkey it's it's not exactly a social thing you can't you know yeah you're not over and be like hey what's up you want a beer or you know let me get out my syringes you know it's like very much a loner sport it's tough to lay that stuff out at a bar right get a yeah. couple shots you guys hey, hang on i got the u100 here yeah. can you give me some water <laughs> 
So I went to, again, you know, they did more therapy, this, that. I went to, I, you know, I started going to meetings. I kept relapsing, kept relapsing. I got like three and a half years clean. Um, I had a grand mal seizure just because they screwed up my medication and they gave me Ativan and that caused a relapse. That caused another. Okay. Uh, when that stuff hit me, I was like, oh, yeah. So then I was on an Ativan thing, more psych ward attempts, and then, uh, you know, periods of sobriety. So basically, the end was, I was, it was 2011, I was married, and I had been prescribed Oxycontin for a shoulder injury. Mm -hmm. And I had been sober about a year and a half at the time. And uh, I don't like opiates, but... I like anything that makes me feel different. And that veil went down and I was like, oh, I don't give a fuck. Awesome. And uh, I got in a fight with my now ex-husband and it got physical and I pulled a knife on him and he called the cops and I got arrested for felony domestic violence with a deadly weapon and I went to jail. Was How long were you on the Oxycontin for? Only a couple months. Okay. Not long. And is it shortly after that when you had, I don't know if it's a moment of clarity, but a moment of maybe willingness? Um, so to, to make some changes, I, you know, like a typical alcoholic, when we fuck up our lives, then we drink over the fuck ups because oh poor me. Look, I'm going through a divorce mm -hmm. and a criminal trial and meh, some drinking, another suicide attempt, get in a treatment again. I relapse in treatment. I get thrown in another sober living. I relapse in the sober living. I go to another sober living. And at this point, it's the end. My parents are just like, we have no more money. We're over it, you know. Like, and my moment of clarity came when I was doing community labor for my domestic violence. I was sweeping the streets. I was on a chain gang with like me and like 40 fucking Mexican dudes. And they're like, what you here for, Weta? Huh? I'm here for a DUI. What you here for? And I was like, I'm here for felony domestic violence <laughs> with a deadly weapon. They're like, oh shit. So it was very You're at the top humbling. of the line right there. It was super humbling. I was like the only girl, you know, it was very humbling to show up because I was like, oh my God, I'm not a criminal. I had more time than anyone else. I was one of the few people there for assault. It was extremely humbling. Um, and when I was sweeping trash and human feces and syringes mm. in the hot sun for fucking eight hours a day, I had 240 hours of community labor and I had a life-changing epiphany. And was it, you know, I, I got to make a change. Yeah, I'd already was sober. I yeah. was sober already. And but I was sticking sober with it, living. But I was just like, it was like, I got to change my fucking character. And right. I got to change my whole attitude. I've got to change my whole victim attitude. I was just like, maybe this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Could this be the best thing that ever happened to me? And not the worst thing that ever happened to me. And I just was like, okay, like this is, this is, you created this, Amy. This is this is your the result of all your actions and who you are. You don't like it? Change it. Yeah. And I just embraced. I was like, okay, humility, work ethic. Like, how can I find the humor in this? Like, let's finish what we start so we don't go to jail. Like, I just embraced the whole thing and it shifted. I'd been really a spoiled brat before then and didn't want to take responsibility for myself or my life. I didn't want to be financially responsible. And you know, you meet your road, you meet your destiny on the road. You go to avoid it. You know, you're bringing up such good points here, and you know, this really self analysis. And I think so many people cannot get past this, this, this part of sobriety, which is okay. I'm left with me now. Right. I got a little bit of physical sobriety, but now the emotions. Oh, gnarly. Right. Yeah. And it sounds like you're facing these things, demons, what have you, all this stuff, head on. Yeah, I mean, right? Yeah, and so that was like I was like I need to fucking really make a fucking change here. And but you know, I still you know, I still had the the the, the I was uncomfortable. I was broke. I was 42 years old. I was in sober living for two and a half years. I you know, had a criminal record. Um I had no job. I was freelance writing. I was like, fuck. And um I felt a little sorry for myself and I also was uncomfortable. Feelings would come up and I was pretty early in sobriety. I didn't know how to deal with them. Smoking a lot, vaping a lot. And I picked up a sex addiction, which to me is all alcoholism. All that stuff is alcoholism. Yeah. It's all, how do I get out of myself? Right. You know? And so, um, 
I don't, I don't think it's separate. I did go to SLAW and SAA and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I mean, it was really mortifying. I mean, this is why I wrote the book. It's like, I am exactly who you wouldn't think would be a perpetrator of domestic violence or a sex addict or, you know what I mean? I came from like, you know, I had everything growing up and it's like, I just destroyed my life and myself and it's addiction does not discriminate. It's like, it doesn't, it doesn't. And, and, and I appreciate all of your transparency big time and thanks for, you're really putting all, all this stuff out there. And what I want to ask is, um, did you have some pretty good like direction from some other women, uh, you know, in the program here like, Amy, look, we got you. We got you. Let's just do the stuff that we do over here and things are going to get better. Yeah. Okay. This is interesting. Um. So yeah, well, I was in sober living and I had a group of women around me that were great, but no one could stop me from, you know, like acting out sexually and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, honestly, you, you got to hit a bottom with that. You, you know, you're done when you're done. As my sponsor says, you know, you stop a behavior when what it's doing to you is worse than what it's doing for you. So I finally hit a bottom with that. And I was like, wait a second, I don't want to do this anymore. This, and it felt so exactly like drug addiction. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Here I am doing this. And then like regretting it. Like I would cry coming back from some guy's house. It was yeah. horrible. And it's like, I have a male sponsor and I, and, um, I've had uh, a few male sponsors and, um, it, that can be tricky. People get a little bit weird about that. Only one of them's fucked me. So that's pretty good odds. And, um, <laughs> Hey, there we go. <laughs> uh, um, I'm serious. All well, right. that shit happens in the rooms. I mean, sexual well, predatory behavior is very much prevalent in the rooms and it's you know, like, sucks. let's, and let's talk about that for okay. a second, because, you know, I think the program has gotten, it's gotten, first and foremost, we're talking about, we're not talking about the bedrock of mental health. No. Okay. Of course and, not. I do want to say this, though, and I think that you're going to concur, but I'm just going to speak from my own experience, and that is there's a lot of really good groups where people look after each other. Absolutely. And I was of, not obviously in one of those. Yeah. I, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm thankful I was raised in, in a group of these guys were just like, they would just say, look, you're going to men's meetings, man. Well, I You don't didn't. need to be dealing with other – primarily I did, but my point being that not to give the program a bad rap – Right, there are wonderful groups, and there's some places. Let's face it; that's just gonna. There's gonna be some. Well, yeah, some I mean stuff, that's the whole thing. Know? I mean, that's the the pro, the the pro the the steps. The program is solid. The fellowship is a microcosm of the real world. And if you think it's gonna be some safe, perfect place, like you know, it's wherever there's a power hierarchy, and there becomes a power hierarchy in meetings, you're mm -hmm. gonna have sexual predatory behavior because there's a power imbalance. Happens in Hollywood, it happens in the government, it happens in the military. We're, you think AA is gonna be immune to that? Because, I mean, it is people who are sick, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that for me, what I've seen in my 20 years in and out of the program is that sexual and intimacy and relationship recovery are sort of the last bastion for many men. Oh, there's, there's, I mean, physical right. sobriety comes first. Yeah. We all know. And I think too, that, that there's a lot of people who just do not address stuff that maybe the program just can't fix. Well, also they just you know? think, Oh, well I'm sober and that's okay. And it's like, well, if you're, if you're not having integrity, you're treating women like garbage, that's right. you know, that's part of this whole thing. you know, we use this in all our affairs, but, mm -hmm. um, I, I did not have women pull me aside and go, hey, like these are the predators and da 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 da. And also, I'm not going <laughs> to. This know. is Predator X. There's <laughs> Y. And stay the fuck away from that guy. <laughs> you know what, though? I'm not a. I don't consider myself a victim. I needed validation. I was new. I wanted love. I wanted attention. I wanted yeah. to check out. I was never raped. I was a willing participant, although I wasn't on all cylinders at the time. Sure. You know what I mean? But it's like, I did have a a lesbian sponsor for three and a half years. And she was like, you're not going to mixed meetings anymore. You're going to women's meetings and gay meetings. And that's yeah, it. Right. She's like, you're not, you know, cause, and I was like, well, how am I going to get laid doing that? <laughs> and she's like, you're not, you're going to concentrate on recovery. I'm like, God, that sounds boring. Yeah. But I got a crush on a girl. So it's like, it doesn't, you know what I mean? And I'm not, and I'm straight. So it's like, mm. you know, again, it's alcoholism. It's like, how, oh, you, you're going to fucking fix it. You're, you're my happiness. You're my outside answer. And it's like, that's the whole thing that I talk about is like, for me, the substance or is so immaterial. 
it's like you know it's just a matter a if it's a xanax or a donut or a cock it's like you know oh i put something in my body and i changed my feelings and mm. it's like now i've been celibate for a year and a half i don't i'm not in nicotine i've become this weird person that i always made fun of <laughs> so so it sounds like you, you've you identified a whole bunch of stuff worked on a whole bunch of stuff and speaking of work i want to ask you about the my fair junkie book at what point did you start writing that I was chronicling the um, sweeping the street stuff while it was happening. And uh, it was everyone's favorite Facebook post of mine. I would take pictures of what I saw. I was like, another day on the chain, gang. Like, <laughs> I didn't hide it at all. That's kind of my way to deal with shame is sort of like, here it is. Yeah. And um, they people were just like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And everyone was like rooting me on. They were like, those were so hilarious. Like, get arrested again. I was like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> and... um. My editor at the time was like, you have a book. That's the framework of your book. Hmm. And um, so I got, I was like, okay. And I, I've been writing for The Fix since, you know, for 2000, since 2012. This must have been 2014 where I started to think of, put started writing the book. So um, How long did it take you to finish? About? I had six months. I had okay. a six month deadline. Okay. So, uh I, that was it and I wasn't and I was made sure I hit that deadline because I was like thinking like oh they're gonna give a like you know an ex-junkie like you know all this money and she's gonna you know I wanted to be on deadline right. I'm good like that I mean that's what the program has given me is showing up integrity mm. if I say I'm gonna be there I'm gonna be there you know I, I make my deadlines I I show up I keep my word I, I, I totally appreciate what you just said there Amy it's just like you know we, we, we gotta change so much beyond just the getting the the drink, the using, oh, whatever. Oh, that's just the beginning. It, I mean, that's the answer. Okay. That, that was the answer. And it's like, then you've got to really like learn how to become a good person. It's like, and have a moral compass and act like, I mean, I had, I had one sponsor and he said, you don't have to be a good person. You just have to act like one. No one knows the fucking difference, Amy. Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, but that's not truthful. <laughs> and it was like, you know, he's right. I mean, you... You act like a good person over and over and over. No one cares about your intentions. Mm. They care about your actions. That's right. But if you act like a good person over and over and over again, you become a good person. That becomes your character. Action it's, is character. It's kind of like retraining the DNA. It's actually and just well, your brain, everything. You create a new neural pathway, that's which right. is your default go-to, and that's your default go-to pathway. And so now I don't have to try to be a good person. I mostly am a good person. When some big fucking hairy guy this guy was just massive he goes you gotta change or you gotta die son i'm like <laughs> i'm looking I'm like what the hell you, what what does that mean man and now i i understand that now like i have to change you we we have to make changes yeah in order for us to i think be reasonably happy and to somewhat thrive in this life of ours of because course. There's the the other the other direction doesn't sound too appealing to me today. I don't know. I don't think it does for you either. No. Oh God, no. And it was like some some. I mean, most people have loved the book. I've gotten a lot of messages where people are like, "Holy shit, you keep it real. Thank you for your honesty and your humor. I just feel less broken. I feel less alone. You made me laugh at stuff that before I just felt so ashamed about. Like I have a bunch of psych ward stories. I got fifty one fifty four fucking times, mm. and it's like. Uh, the sex addiction stuff, you know, all of it. And people were just like, thank you. Thank you. I mean, even a parole officer wrote to me and he was like, I understand addiction better than I ever have with, with 23 years on. on That's on so the job. cool. And so I was like, fuck yes, I fucking accomplished something. But the down, some people are like, she's a dick in the book. And it's like, you know what? I was, that's the reality. I was mentally ill and I was on fucking drugs. You're better. You're, you bet your sweet ass. I was a fucking dick. You know what I mean? I, like I, I'm, I choose to throw over being likable for the truth. And also where's their transformation? If you're an angel, when you're fucking shooting cocaine and smoking crystal meth <laughs> and like boning guys, half your age on Tinder, like why the fuck get sober? It, I, I, I so relate to this. I, I remember getting some messages from some moms in the Midwest. This oh is God. great. She says, Todd, my son really got a lot out of your book, but if you were my son, I would have spanked you a lot more. And I said, get in line. Yeah, right? I mean, <laughs> and, and it's, the reality is, though, a lot of people, this is so true, like you talk about stigma, it is really tough to digest and really look at 
what we're like when they're in it, man. Yeah, yeah. I was really honest about what I what, what it was great. like, and it was like, you know, because why not? If you're tr- if you're trying to look good, writing an addiction memoir, like you're not being <laughs> honest enough, like for <laughs> real. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jerry Stahl, who's a friend of mine and blurb the book, who's like my icon. He he said he, there's a great quote from him, and he said. You know, he wrote Permanent Midnight, which was like one of the first iconic addiction memoirs. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you had the nerve to live what you lived, you should have the nerve to write it. And I was like, okay, bitch. I was like, okay. That's cool. I wrote everything I didn't want to write. Yeah. The stuff where I was like, oh, God, I do not want to put this on a page. I thought, Amy, don't hold back. Yeah, there was only one thing in mind that I could not, I I was not ready to look at the uh, child abuse and and, and molestation. No, it's okay. I'll tell you why it's okay, because I'm on the other side of it today. And I've done a shitload of work about it. At 18 months sober, I was not ready. In fact, I just, I kept burying it. Yeah. Does that make any yeah, sense? Of course. I just push it down. Of course. That's, and you know. I'm a, a proud survivor today. I'm good not a you. victim. Good it's, for you. You know, it's all good. Yeah, so. that's heavy shit. That's trauma. Yeah. You know? And it's, and it's okay. Um, but I want to come back to um, this book of yours is helping a lot of people find recovery. Is that right? Yeah. Some people, cool. I mean, even though people are like, oh, you bash it in your meetings or whatever. It's like, I mean, I wasn't someone who rolled into a meeting was like, I love this. <laughs> You know, and I wasn't someone who rolled into a meeting and was like sober from that day forward either. I was like, this is creepy. What's with the kumbaya hand holding? What's with the shit on the walls? Like, I don't dig it, you know. And because of my honesty and my anger around the whole thing, like going to a big book study and just sitting there like fucking bored and like waiting to blow some dude or whatever I was doing at the time. Like, um, people were like, you made... AA seemed cool and I identified and, and, I, and I met people, readers at a meeting for their first fucking meeting and they got clean. And how, how, how much does that, doesn't that give you um, oh just a great feeling it's, that, that but I mean, people that's are the, getting it's it? It's service. It's like people were like, you gave me the, you know, the opportunity to save my life. Thank you. That's the best. And I was just like, holy shit, because... That is so cool. I and, know. It's super cool. And, you know, at the beginning of the show, but while I was um, reading a bit about your bio, Amy, it sounds like you got a couple of uh, couple of speaking engagements coming up. What's going yeah, on there? Can, can, you, so, can you share with the listeners yeah, and the viewers? Um, I got asked to speak at She Recovers, which is a 600 women event at the Beverly Hilton from September 14th. Congratulations. With like... Mackenzie Phillips and Cheryl Strait and Janet Mock. And I'm like, are you sure you want me? Like I'm kind <laughs> of a sailor mouth and obnoxious. And they're like, yeah, we want you. And I'm like, That's okay. So cool. um, What's the date again? And, and now can people, is this open to there's you still, buy tickets? You or? can still buy tickets. Tell people. Yeah. If you're a woman, it's sherecovers.com. I think uh, the LA event, you can just Google it. It'll come up. Um, you can get a day pass too. I'm speaking on the 15th at the gala. Um, and then, yeah, I'm super honored to be there. I'll be there, uh, signing books and meeting people. And then I got asked to be the speaker at the, um, the mindful recovery and wellness symposium in North Carolina. So a Jew in the deep South, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> Jew in the deep South. And, um, and, and by the way, guys, it was called she recovers, not he recovers. So if you're a dude. Don't plan yeah, on rolling. Yeah, no, you can't go. Or you got to dress really nice and yeah, put on long. Yeah, like, you no, know. but it's like, and it's what's cool about it is that it's, She Recovers is for recovering from anything. Trauma, eating disorder, cutting, all of that stuff. I mean, it's not just a, uh, alcohol yeah. addiction. It's, it's all It's a recovery symp- symposium yeah. from all sorts no, no, of no, good that's stuff. Your, and so then, um, yeah, there's, uh, looks like I might be speaking in Canada in January and it's like, I'm just so, I feel so honored that people want to hear what I have to say because I was just such a fuck up for so long. And it's like, you know, to turn it around and be an inspiration is, is incredibly humbling. I am, uh, I'm honored to have you on today. Oh, thank you. And, and I'm, I want to show the book cover again for people who joined us late. My Fair Junkie by Amy Dresner is a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. It's available everywhere. And uh, she she's she's not leaving me with this copy. I'm 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 very upset about this. I by only the way. have one hardcover left. One hardcover. You can buy it. Why don't you buy it? I'll uh, I'll buy it. I'm <laughs> I will buy it. I thought we we're gonna trade. I'm just kidding. I'm not. I would have brought books. you a paperback. I did no. get a couple paperbacks. But anyways, you guys give the, give this give this a look. Um, it's available everywhere. Um, 
I want to thank you so much for being on the program. Oh my with God, us. thank it, you for having if, me. If we could, if we could have one, one more parting shot before I get to some thank yeah, yous. Of could you could you share with uh, and it doesn't matter if it's men or women out there listening uh, something that that can make them believe and realize there is hope out there. Can you share with the listeners, the viewers, you know what, I'm struggling. You can do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. No matter how many times you've fallen on your face, you can absolutely get this. You know, you just need to believe, find someone who believes in you and believe that they believe and just take the action. Don't let your feelings drag you around. Your feelings and your head are lying to you and they are not your friend. It's like, that's the thing that I finally got in this sobriety was not to listen to my feelings. And it's like, if you're, you know, if you want to use, wait 20 minutes, just, you know, watch, watch something on TV, take a bath, jack off, call someone like whatever, you know what I mean? And like, because the urge passes whether you use or not. And it took me a really long time to to figure that out. You can tolerate your feelings. It's not fun. But you can tolerate and you don't pick up and you don't open up that vortex and you do that one day at a time and it gets easier. And it's like, you know, just you have to act yourself in a right thinking. That's all there is to it. It's it's hard, but it's doable. And if I can get sober, fucking anyone can get sober. I'm like the female Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> you see, if, if that was a perfect way to part ways, Amy Dresner, telling it like it is and certainly how it was for her. And I, I think a lot of people are going to be inspired by what they've heard today, and certainly, hopefully, hopefully, a few people pick up the book, My Fair Junkie. Um, I want to thank. I want to do a quick little thank you to some people who are checking this out: uh, Joshua Richardson, Brandon Yates, Brian Birch, Chris Ekstet, Roseanne Kelly Schultes, Erica Elaine Smith, Katie Gibson, Nicholas Monica Steffi. You guys, thank you so much for making some comments on the board while we we're chatting away, and hopefully, you share this uh, video today and. And once again, Amy Dresner, I wish you all the success in the world with your book, My Fair Junkie. And uh, I know that I am going to order it. I will. You're going to leave a copy. You're going to leave here with a copy of my book. I signed it for you. And you can use it. You can use it to burn stuff. You can just level a table or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much, Amy, for being on the program with us today. It was an absolute pleasure. And you guys, thank you for watching Facebook Live. And thanks for listening when this thing gets on to Spotify and iTunes. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you.